Um, so we're going to take about 10, 15 minutes and honor Ronnie. Anything you do feels paltry. Yeah. You know, when you consider trying to honor the elders and uh, Ronnie and especially their wives and, you know, even just any of our staff, uh, when you just think about all of the time and heart and sacrifices that have gone in to, to allowing us to be here, to be blessed the way that we've been blessed, anything, everything feels small. But I know that they're not looking for grand things. It's always that tough balance. How do we honor people but also keep Christ first? And that's something that the elders and, and Ronnie have always been uh, very good about. But I think, again, it would be a mistake for us not to, to be purposeful about remembering a lot of the lessons that we've learned from them. And I think it would be a mistake for us not to learn to honor people that have uh, worked so hard for us. And so I just asked five people to share. Um, about Ronnie, and the, the prompt I asked them to share about is just what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from Ronnie um, about ministry that you want to use to bless the church moving forward? Um, if you know anything about the elders in Ronnie, you know that legacy is a big deal. And I think that's something that often we don't give much thought to at all. What do you want to leave behind? What do you want people to say about you? What do you want your lasting impact to be? And I can tell you that it's not about them when they think about legacy. It's about their impact for God, that they've left a big imprint, that they want to know that they can pass the mantle off and that we can take it and we run, that we know what we're doing here, that we remember what God has called us here to do and that we don't lose hold of that. That I mean, when you look across what God has done, He's been very faithful to us. He's blown all of our expectations out of the water, has He not? I mean, you go to a focus winter camp in every year. It's mind-blowing. And if you've never been to one, I would encourage you to go. You're welcome. It's, it's, if you're losing sight of just what it is that we get to be a part of, focus winter, cramp, winter, cramp. winter camp is a great place to re- be reminded of that. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and have Amy come up. I've asked them each to share about one to two minutes, and we'll see if they're good Christians, and we'll follow that direction. <laughs> Kale's prompt is impossible. Um, Ronnie, you have been a real spiritual dad to me and a lot of us in this room. You've sat across the table from me and said hard things I needed to hear. So to think about what, like, most impactful lesson of ministry I want to take moving forward just seems so impossible because you've changed the way I think about ministry. Your commitment to never quit and to quit trying to be good and just trust God. How to do family. The fact we're not going to do normal. Speaking to people in scripture and the power that that has. We know you're not perfect, so don't worry. We don't think you're too good. But that's what makes it so impactful. It's because we know you're like us. And you have been such a great example of what someone can do when their heart is perfectly submitted to God. That God can do so much through one person if we'll let them, if we'll let him. I can't think of you without thinking of 1 Corinthians 11.1. Because we can truly follow your example as you have followed Christ. And that is my hope for me and for all of us, is that we can be people that others can follow because we are following Christ. So thank you, Ronnie, for that example, for being that spiritual dad, and for having your fingerprints all over all of us in the way that we think about Jesus and to think think about ministry. We love you. Yeah, Ronnie, he's been a teacher and mentor and friend for a lot of years, kind of in that order. I met Ronnie in the mid-90s at Highland Oaks Church of Christ, where all of the ministers and preachers seemed really familiar to me except for one. One was very different. (laughs) Um, Ronnie wasn't afraid to ask questions. He wasn't afraid to step on toes and piss people off. He, um, 
we were in a, a class that Ronnie taught. It was a pretty large class. One of my buddies and his wife came in late, and Ronnie called him out. I thought it was great. <laughs> it, was, it was the same buddy that later said um, something about changing hearts and... <laughs> Can't even remember it now. <laughs> and hearts are, yeah, hearts are changed and lives are turned to God. Um, a lot of people liked Ronnie, the righteous ones, because he he had a lot of biblical knowledge and knew how to use it. Um, but for some of us, the the ones that were on the fringe. Um, the ones that Satan were after, people like me in the mid-90s. Ronnie had a, a message that God was full of mercy and grace, and he wanted me. Um, that God could use me. That God could do more in my weakness than I could in my strength. Um, yeah, that, you know, God can be that good, that God can do miracles, that, that living a life for Jesus is, is that good. So when I think about what I want to take from Ronnie, you know, he, I have some biblical knowledge, but not compared to Ronnie. Ronnie's a visionary. I have a vision for tomorrow. I looked at my calendar. I have two meetings, and I plan to eat three meals tomorrow. (laughs) That's my vision for tomorrow. (laughs) I'm not a visionary. Even when I heard Ronnie's vision, I I couldn't see it. I see it now. But I can tell people that God is good and that God wants to use them and can use you. I can do that. That's what I want to take forward. Um, Ronnie, you know this, but I I love you. Thank you. Good morning. I, too, thought about jumping the stage, but then I thought, that would really be bad. (laughs) If you fell down, people would laugh at you. Um, wow, this is, uh, very humbling to be up here just to talk about Ronnie. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Ronnie. I would do, be doing something, but I promise you I wouldn't be right here at this moment in time without Ronnie. My family wouldn't be the family that it is. If Ronnie hadn't come along and taught us to uh, to be more like Christ, like Jeff was saying, um, very difficult task to stand here and talk, um, like the others were saying. Um, the thing that that I tried to focus in on so I could accomplish the uh, the task was uh, was this. So I'm just going to read it. The, uh, well, I'll say this first. The thing that, the lesson that I feel like is most impactful to me is this one. I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because God is good. I'm sure I've heard this statement at least a hundred times or more as I've been at and listen to Ronnie speak and preach at this church. If I'm here because God is good, then I know that even though I'm a wretched man, as Paul says in Romans 7, God can still use me to do his good works and to accomplish his will. This is huge. We have, we have to have this attitude 
or the evil one will use our sins to defeat us and to get us so down that we will quit and give in to the sin and to the death that it brings. But as Paul says later in that same section, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We all have to live. We all have to live and serve as delivered people. That's the message that I want to make sure you guys understand. None of us are up here because we're good. We're all up here because God is good. We can't let Satan get us thinking about the things that we do that we fall short on. Because they're countless. It's, it's just part of our human nature. And Ronnie has been able to instill in so many people that gift of, of understanding that. And for me, um, anything I do, I just feel like, gosh, I'm just, I'm just not worthy. I'm just such a wretched man, like Paul says. So, um, I just pray that that uh, that you can can grasp that to carry on and to yes we care about our sins and we want to become more like Christ but we're going to mess up but we can't just sit there and waller like a small child and and throw fits we have to just let God continue to use us um thank you Ronnie for your for your love our family loves you dearly. And, uh, of course, that's not going to stop. You're going to be here. Everything's fantastic. It's not like it's a big deal. But I wanted to say all that. Love you. And also I wanted to say while I have the opportunity to the elders, thank you so much for your service. Um, you have inspired me to continue to try to do um, things like you guys have done through the years. Um, I would also say um, behind every good man is a great woman. <laughs> I know that's true for me. So make sure you guys are honoring their wives this weekend as well. So, love you guys. <sighs> Ronald Lee. The first time I ever met Ronnie, he was lounging on my dorm bed in Corbett Hall in 1979. He came to be our campus minister the year after I became a Christian. I was 20. He was 26. Tana and he had just moved there with three-month-old Brandon. And I got to work with Ronnie in ministry for about eight or nine years after that. And it had such an influence on my life, I can't even begin to explain. I was adopted as part of their family. I got to babysit the three boys a lot and loved every minute of it. I think I may have spent more time at their house than mine. Um, But... I learned how to be a disciple, and I learned how to disciple during those days. We would sit in a restaurant just about every week and talk about the ministry and the people and, and you know, just try to figure out how to do this thing. Um, you know, one-on-one is how it's done. It didn't start here. It didn't even start in Colorado. You know, making mature disciples didn't start here or in Colorado. That was part of Ronnie's DNA from the very beginning. And there are so many people that I still hear from in Colorado and Arizona that just are so thankful for the presence of Ronnie in their life. Now, there are some things I could tell you, but I can't, because Ronnie and I have this agreement that we're not going to tell too many embarrassing things about each other. But, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just so thankful for everything that he's done. You know, I honestly don't think I would be 
I, well, I know I wouldn't be here, um, but I'm not sure I would even be a Christian if it weren't for his obedience to the Spirit. I had walked away from God for about 10 years, and then one day out of the blue, I get this phone call, and it's Ronnie Worsham. Hadn't talked to him in 10 years, don't even know how he found my number, but he sparked that ember that was inside me and allowed me to come back to faith. But the thing I love the most is just the fact that he's never going to retire. <laughs> and, you know, so when I got ready to retire, I thought, I don't have to retire from life. I get to now do what I want to do. And so I started in campus ministry, and now I get to work in campus ministry again with Ronnie and with Brandon, the kid whose diapers I used to change. <laughs> So I think, I think my takeaway is just, just that obedience to the Spirit. You know, that he has always been obedient to God. And sometimes that was really, really hard. A lot of times that was really, really hard. But it's his faithfulness that has influenced so many of us to stay faithful. And I will always be thankful for that into eternity. I love you. All right. Um, <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, when Eileen said she met Ronnie in 1979, I thought, that's the year I was born. So there's that. <laughs> um, so, um, so I'm going off the cuff this morning. I really literally have no brain cells left. So um, I'm going to give you what I got. So I just remember... Um, years ago, standing up on the uh, church platform one Sunday morning, giving my little sermonettes, and uh, afterwards just telling Ronnie, um, after getting spending time with him, that I just really want to be able to, to just remember scripture and be able to speak it to people, and, and him looking at me and saying, well, just do it, and I'm like... Okay, like it's that easy. But now, you know, all these years later, the first thing that comes to mind is scripture. When I'm sitting across from someone or someone's texting me, asking me something, and the first thing that comes to mind is the word of God. Because now I just do it. So that's what has been the most impact for me. It's just like, just say the thing, just do the thing, and stop thinking about the thing, just do it. When I think about Ronnie and his impact on my life, I can, I would be in uh, a puddle of tears if I think too long, but one of the, uh, the scripture that came to mind, which always comes to mind when I think of Ronnie, and I have texted Ronnie this and a few other people, so, um, but it's Philippians, I thank my God every time I think of you. I always pray with joy when I pray for you. Because of your partnership with the gospel. But I thank my God every single time when I think of you. who you are and who you've been and the example that you have set for so many of us will remain. We will remain because you've remained. We will stand firm because you have stand firm, stood firm. That was very touching. Thank you, guys. I know if it touched me, it touched Ronnie. Um, got a million emotions and a million thoughts. I didn't really plan on sharing, but uh, I will just super briefly, I would just say the thing that I've learned about ministry from Ronnie is just to love Jesus desperately. And I do. I do. And I want that for all of you.
I can tell you because of Ronnie. There's just nothing else in me that burns like my love for God. I don't know what to do with it at times. So when you look at guys like Ronnie and, and he rubs you the wrong way at times, that's where that's coming from. An imperfect person trying to, trying to keep in this enormous power. And I know it can be difficult when you look at, the, look at the lives of people like Ronnie and say, how do I ever aspire to that? It's inspiring, but I can't do that. Thank you. And uh, thank goodness we're not all called to be Ronnie's. We can't be Ronnie's. But we can all be desperately in love with Christ. And we are all called to be desperately in love with Christ. And I think about the, the cheesy... Uh, illustration, super cheesy, of just like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And that's how you do it. One bite at a time. You enjoy the process. It's understanding that truth that knowledge is not your destination. Loving and glorifying God is your destination. And you do that every day. So I too thank you just for teaching me the most important lesson. Um, let's dive into this. Uh, what I want to speak about this morning is just uh, heating up this value of planting churches. And I think in another way, this also honors Ronnie and the elders because this is something that they've consistently held up as our vision, that from the very get-go, something that Ronnie has told us is that we laid hands on him as an evangelist, and he's led us faithfully in that, that he's an evangelist, and you can look at our model. Our model of, of in our axiom, one-on-one's how it's done, undergirds the whole thing. It undergirds the whole thing. Church planting movements come out of disciple, discipling movements. That's why we're so successful at what we do, is because we want to replicate disciples. The kingdom needs you individually. You may not see yourself as worthy, and in some regard, you're not, but neither am I. But that's who God wants to use. He wants to use each and every one of us, and that's part of why we come out here and do what we do. It's good for us to have to leave something behind, to leave our rest, to leave our games, to leave our friends and family, to leave our plans, to remember that we are on a greater mission and that we want our lives to be defined by that mission. Too many people let time in their lives be dictated by themselves. And that's what I heard when Eileen was talking, is that Ronnie let God define his time. And that's why not only has he been immensely blessed by that, but so many people, you see that with Eileen. I mean, she said it is a small deal, but I can tell you, try to tell you how big of a deal it is to her that she probably never thought she'd see Ronnie again, and now she's doing ministry with him and gets to do ministry with Brandon that she changed his diaper. Whoever would dream that? Who would dream that up? That's the kind of stuff that happens with God. It may sound cheesy to you, but if you dare to dream with God, that's the kind of stuff he does. That's the kind of business he's in. Ronnie dared to dream with God. Focus, students, you think about what you get to experience in focus. Ronnie dared to dream about focus, and he walked around that campus before many of you were even born praying for you, praying for that campus. Who does that? People desperately in love with God do that. People desperately in love with people do that. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. You go pray for your people. You go pray for a vision. But that stuff comes from God. It doesn't come from us. There's plenty of people out there. There's plenty of leaders out there trying to dream up some great vision. And it's easy to get in the way of that. It's just that whole uh, truth of letting go and letting God, and you'll be wowed every time, I believe. Timothy Keller recently passed away. If you're not familiar with him, I'd look him up. He's a very passionate preacher. And... Uh, I was reading an article about him, and he makes this comment on church plants. He just says, The vigorous 
continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city. In the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city, nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. It's a powerful statement. Do you get what we're doing? Do you get the vision of spreading across the metroplex and planting churches? Because I, I agree with Jeff. That was something I was thinking about this morning as I was kind of going through my talk and doing some edits. I'm just like, man, when Ronnie first pitched that idea of spreading churches over the next 20 years, I think all of us were a bit aghast. It was daunting. It's like, yeah, that's a, that's a stretch at best. But look what he's done. How do you even counter churches? When you think of all the small groups meeting out of homes, when you think about how huge focus is, you think about our Arlington and Plano and Denton and Wiley churches, how many leaders God has raised up and is raising up? There are no superlatives. Everything you say is accurate. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. God is at work. I think of Mark 138. He says, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus replied. No, I, I read that wrong. Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Just the day before, he had healed Simon's mother-in-law and all of these other people that were sick, people that were demon-possessed. He healed them. He healed many people. So you can imagine what would happen in a city like that. Tons of other people show up. And instead of going back, he says, let us go somewhere else. So what? So I can preach there also. Jesus came to be missional. He came to go out to spread the gospel. Could he have spent all of his time healing people and doing their little and big healings that they needed and change their lives in some way, big and small? Of course he could. But there's something much bigger going on. There is a life that he gives that outlasts any type of healing that he could give you right now. That's what we have. That's why the stakes are so high. That's why he was so adamant. His disciples were so adamant. That's why they left everything behind. We don't really have any record of them putting up a fight, but I can tell you it wasn't easy. Leaving your family behind is not easy. If coming out here for one whole weekend is not easy, leaving your family and your friends behind is not easy. I don't think you need me to tell you that. What I want to do this morning... Just for about 20 minutes, I'm going to go super fast, is I want to share with you five characteristics of a church planner. Number one, they're driven toward a vision. Number two, they're on mission. Number three, they're willing to be inconvenienced and make deep sacrifices. They're ready to step up and step out. And lastly, they have a deep love for the lost and replicating disciples. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on these. I think they're pretty uh, self-explanatory, but I just want to spend a couple minutes on each. So they're driven toward a vision. Generally speaking, the problem is not a lack of resources. It's a lack of vision. When you look at our churches and what we have, you are not in want of resources. You have them. You have them. What are you doing with them? I talk about this with our teens all the time. You think about just the resource of Google in itself. We are drowning in resources. We are drowning in knowledge. And thank goodness we have so many people like Ronnie, so many leaders in here that know what to do with knowledge. They know how to apply knowledge because they have the right heart. That's a difficult thing to give people. You can give people resources all all day long. Trying to give them a heart is, is very difficult. I am so thankful that we have leaders that understand what Jesus is all about. You're drowning in resources. Do you recognize that? Are you using them? I've jumped around a lot in my intro, so I'm going to probably repeat some things. But vision comes from deep prayer and constant dreaming with God. 
talked about daring to dream. Yeah, I stole my whole first point in my introduction. That's what I do. That's what I do. But you get it. Does, does a vision drive you? What drives you? This is basic 101 elementary stuff. Too many of us are still living for ourselves. Those that seek to save their life are going to lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake, well, what? Well, what? They're going to find it. Just another paradox of the kingdom of God. But do you trust him? That's a big thing to give up. He's inspired a great deal of trust in me. It's still difficult. It's still difficult. I was thinking, I'm going to steal from another point probably. But it's on my mind. I was thinking uh, about, you know, a few years ago when Tom Green was doing his deal in Arlington and with Focus. And he had asked me to consider going out there. That he felt like maybe God was calling me out there. So I went out for a year just to kind of test the waters. Put my foot in. See, is this what God wants me to do? And trying to be very willing. I did not want to do ministry in Arlington. I love my family. And I've been extremely blessed to get to live by them my whole life. I get to meet with my dad and, uh, on, a, on a regular basis. And I get to see my family on a regular basis. I've gotten to go to church with my dad my whole life where a lot of my other siblings have gone off to our other church plants. I've counted that a great blessing. And I've always told myself I'd be willing to go wherever he wants me to go, but then you put, you're put in that position, you're like, wait a second, okay, I gotta reassess this a little bit. And Jay and I had to do a lot of kind of that self-talk on the way to Arlington and on the way back. We didn't have the same friendships. You don't see your own value as much because you don't have those relationships yet. People are getting to know you. You're thinking about your kids, like, oh, do I want them to go to school in Arlington? You know, what kids do we have out here in this church? Are they going to have the same kind of friendships? Are they going to have as many? How often are we going to get to see our parents? You just go through all of these things, and it's so easy to talk yourself out of it and say, it's not best for me and my family. But who are you really serving? You and your family or God? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's it. I love my family best when I put God first and love him most. And I love them best when I teach them to do the same, despite whatever that causes them to sacrifice and me to sacrifice. And so we were prepared to do that, but thank God he didn't ask me to do that. But you know what? Next month he may ask me to do something worse, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'll share that for accountability. Number two, willing to be inconvenienced and make... No, that's not number two. Mission. Live intentionally in the here and now. I know there's a lot of overlap here, but are you living intentionally? I think I kind of talked about that with retreats. That's why we leave. That's why we go. I keep thinking about Jesus. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Have you ever reflected on that? The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Not because he couldn't. He could have. He could have found plenty of places to lay his head. And he could have certainly changed his whole way he entered this world and, and his whole plan. But this testifies to his essence and his nature and who he is and how we win people. How we fight against the ways of the world. The things that we give up often are just small potatoes compared to what Jesus did. You think about in, how inconvenient it probably was for him being chased by multitudes of people constantly when all he wanted to do was close his eyes for a minute. I think about how cranky I am with my family when I'm tired. I know Jesus had to put up with a lot of that. Do you recognize where God is working? To be missional, you have to recognize where God is working in your life and where God is working around you. Something that we tell people a lot is kind of an aside is, you know, people want to go do something. They want to be used for God, but they're just not sure what to do. And I think a good starting place is just look where God is working and go do that. And if he wants you to do something else, he'll make it known. But too many of us just wait to work until we get this very awesome premonition from God. We get this very clear feeling that he's infused into our soul. Now I know what my purpose is. I know what I got to do. Now I'll go do that. But I'm just going to wait. Don't wait. 
the, the, the opportunities are endless just in a room like this. And you think about how many people are back home that weren't able to make it this weekend. You think about all the other people are in our communities, all the other people are in our churches, all the people that we have yet to meet. The opportunities are endless. Just get to work and do something. Missional people move about with urgency. Right? Scripture talks about teaching our young people to number their days. That sounds so dark and bleak. We don't talk about that kind of stuff with kids. We certainly don't even like to think about it ourselves. Do you realize your days are numbered and you don't know that number? Do you move about with urgency, not only for yourself, but those around you? You have life. You have the message of life. How, I don't remember the exact translation, but how good are the feet that bring good news? You get to be that. The people that have been under war and oppression, that have been imprisoned, they're waiting for that message of freedom, and you can be that. If you get to be that for one person in your life, you've been successful. There's not a bigger gift to offer in this world. I don't think that's a superlative either. I think that's an objective truth. If Jesus is who he says he is, that is the penultimate gift. Everybody can do that. Because everybody can know the gospel. Because everybody can be touched and changed by the gospel. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to be changed by God. You have to love him. Because people see through all the, wet, all the rest. Amen? They, they see through the facade. You can't fake it. Three, they're willing to be inconvenienced and make deep sacrifices. Our home is in heaven. It's not here. This kind of goes back to being missional, but a big part of being inconvenienced is just being mobile. I, oh, man, I wish I'd pulled this up. Maybe it's not worth reading the whole thing, but something that we talk a lot about, we, we reread every year probably almost, is this really neat, it's called like the 24-7 vision. Um, it's a really neat poem written toward teens about teen ministry. And it just talks about that. It talks about being mobile. You know, that we're not held down by our addresses and things. I'm ready to go. Where, where do you want me? Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. We talk a lot about that up here. You don't have to go to Africa to be a missionary. You are a missionary right now. You are on mission. You came to retreat. You're on mission when you go to your church every Sunday morning. That's what Ronnie talks about when he talks about showing up. If you're going to be there, then be there. Because that's what missionaries do. Too many missionaries go to Africa and they're not even there. Really? A new location doesn't make you a missionary. The heart of God makes you a missionary. Live wherever the mission is. And if you can't recognize the mission here, you're not going to recognize it somewhere else. Comfort cannot be a top value to the missionary. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. I can't think of any more definitive statement for our life. He was a man acquainted with grief. And that is the thing that we all run from. One of the hard things about going to new church plants, I think, when I'm thinking about inconvenienced is, you know, we, we talked about the obvious, you know, just with your kids and things like that. But what about if God calls you to a, a church where maybe the leader isn't your favorite? Maybe the worship is not your favorite. Maybe the, the, the area and the community is not your favorite or the demographics not your favorite. Maybe he calls you to a predominantly focused church and you don't feel like you're called to college people. Maybe he calls you to a church that's got a huge teen ministry and a lot of young people and that church is talking a lot about the youth and that's not really your deal. You have to be about the kingdom. It's a bigger deal. Church is not for you. We've made church about us because we've still bought into this idea of therapeutic deism we talk about. You know, it's just another kind of way to, to self-actualize. God is there for self-help. To make me feel good about myself. That's not what God is for. Does he do some of that? Of course he does. When you understand yourself in the light of God, you can't help but feel better about yourself because you understand that you're a son, 
or daughter of Christ, the living God, and you get to inherit what he inherits and what he plans for you that no eye or brain can imagine. But that's not first and foremost what he's for. Don't use church as that. Don't go to church to make yourself feel good and to feel seen first. You go to make other people feel seen. You go to heal other people. Ready to step up and step out is my uh, fourth one. You got to be ready. Despite how you see yourself as unworthy, as unfit, not intelligent enough, you don't know enough, you got to be ready. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Raise your hand if you've ever seen that happen. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Time and time again, that's his way. And that's good for us. The last thing that we want to do is go out in our own knowledge, our own power, and our own strength. There's only trouble and failure there. Being ready to step up and step out is about being faithful in the small things now. Just be consistent in your one-on-one. That's been one of my biggest frustrations through ministry all these years is I just watch people. Somebody will cancel. Another person's like, okay, no big deal. Let's do next week. What? Pick a new day that week. You got seven days in a week. Why are we waiting a whole nother week? If you can't truly meet that week, that's fine. Where's the sense of urgency? Where's the initiative? What we're doing matters. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Oh, you can't meet at our best time at 7 p.m.? Well, what about 5 a.m. before work? Why is that off the table? Ronnie's met with people at the butt crack of dawn for eons. And I can tell you that's the last thing I want to do. Props to you guys that do that. But guys... That's what it means to redeem the time. You got to take it like it's a melon and you got to extract all the juices from it you can. The time is running short. That's part of what Jesus was doing with inaugurating the kingdom. It's here. It's here. It's now. It's coming. Feels like we have all the time in the world to waste, but we don't. You're not guaranteed anything else. You're not guaranteed another second. We've just been given too many of them, and so we think we get the next one. It's not yours. You don't own it. You have no control over it. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is coming. Be ready. Now I can't even read my notes. Man looks at appearance, but God looks at the heart. A heart that just wants to glorify him is what pleases him. It's not the most successful. He will use you. He will use you in that success. We look at our our situations and we think that was an utter failure. I've, I've shared this with our teen ministers for years. I can think about, oh my gosh, I could probably name at least five, maybe ten teens I spent significant time with that aren't in church anywhere, and from what I can tell, not doing very well. And it's easy to think, what was that for? But I look at the appearance. I don't know what he's doing under the surface. He may do something astronomical with them. They've got the seed. I did it first for God. And that was something that Ronnie told me after a few years in teen ministry because I was getting discouraged with some of these guys backsliding and not doing well. And uh, he just told me, you first do it for God. And in my puny brain, that sounded weird to me. But now that's a no-duh. Of course I first do it for God. I can feel good about what I did because I did my best. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And I'm weak, but he's not. My weakness in no way impinges on his strength. And neither does yours. But who cares about self-weakness when you have the strength of God at your disposal? The prideful. The prideful. Give that stuff up. Celebrate your weakness because in so doing you get to celebrate the strength of God and finally let him lead things. Be ready to step up and step out. 
and leaders, be ready. Be looking for those that, that are ready. And be ready and willing to call them to step up. Most people make the next step in their faith because they're invited. We need, as disciples, to be looking around and aware and inviting people up to that next step. What is that? Maybe that's just getting up and doing a communion. But that's the first or second or third step of many. Just say yes. Can you think of a time anybody ever got up here and spoke to this body and actually failed? I don't even know what that would look like. I get up here and I mumble all the time. But I know that God still uses it. At the very worst, we can just laugh at the silly things I say. Right? But I think that's good for me. It humbles me. And I think it's good for you because it shows that you don't have to be polished and know everything to get up here. You just have to love God. That's it. And lastly, a characteristic of a church planner is you have to have a deep love for the lost and replicating disciples. Does your heart break for those that don't know Christ? Because I can tell you guys, I get it. Mine does. But often I just let the stuff of the world, the cares of the world, my own needs, I would use that very loosely, my own desires. I'm too tired. I let all of that stuff get in the way. I come home, there's a neighbor outside, and I'm like, ah, I should probably engage with them. But I'm like, nah, I'm going to go inside. I've had a long day. And I let myself off the hook time and time and time again. Jesus did the opposite. He was most tired And yet he still engaged. Why? Because he was moved with compassion for the people. Mark 6.34. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You don't need me to tell you, but probably you need reminding. There are a great multitude of people that are sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They are desperately lost. Some of them know it and some of them don't. But they're lost nonetheless. They need a shepherd. If you're the one there, you are the shepherd. You don't need to wait for Ronnie. Now, do we move our feet and talk to each other? Of course we do. Sometimes I may not be the best guy, but if I am there, it's my duty. It's my responsibility. I see it. Something I say a lot, I remember from Sikkim, the only thing probably I remember from Sikkim um, forever ago, is I just remember a question he asked to all of us. Sikkim is the, the uh, ministry that Focus goes up to in Washington every year. They take their Corfas, But he just said, whose responsibility is it to save the lost? And we're a bunch of raging idiots. And so we said, it's ours. And I think you know what's coming. He said, it's yours. It's mine. It's mine. Right? Do you get that? We're always waiting for somebody else. There's always a reason it's not my responsibility. I'm not best fit. And it's easy to come up with all the practical reasons of why it's not me. But I think what's at the heart of that, the kernel, is just selfishness. I'm not willing. I don't love God and his mission most. And I don't love that person better than me. Philippians, consider others better than yourself. Once you do that, you're just going to do your best. God, I'm probably going to bungle this. I'm going to mess it up, but I'm going to do it anyway. Be with me, please. Do we think we don't have a God that's going to be with us? He's so confident. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. Just go. A God that says that, you know he's going to be with you. And that doesn't mean you're going to come away from that situation saying, oh man, that was amazing and I said everything and he just put it all in my brain. Does he do that sometimes? He does. But I don't think that's what he's saying to expect. Just know he's with you and he's working behind the scenes. Sometimes you get to see that. Sometimes you get to see that. But don't expect that because that's going to keep you from doing what you need to do and it's going to lead to a lot of discouragement. Because you're going to be waiting and waiting and waiting to see if what you did paid off. And then when it doesn't pay off in your mind, in your estimation, you're going to stop. Or you're going to slow down. Don't slow down. Verse 
All right, I think I've gone long enough. I, uh, I'm not going to have you discuss. I'm going to stay up here, and I just want to give you two minutes. I'm going to give you two questions. You can write these down, and you can spend more time in reflection in your own uh, devotional time, which I would certainly suggest that you do. Um, or you could talk about these uh, if you go to lunch with anybody. But the first question is just this. Are you passionate about any of these characteristics? Are you truly passionate about any of these characteristics? And again, I'll read them again. Driven toward a vision, on mission, willing to be inconvenienced, ready to step up and step out, and a deep love for the lost and replicating disciples. Are you passionate about any of those? And if not, take time to self-assess. Don't shame yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Two, in which characteristic do you see the most need for improvement personally? Just pick one. You can't attack them all at the same time, but pick one. So let's take a couple minutes to reflect and pray, and then I will close this out with a prayer. I hate to cut people off because I can see you're still kind of looking down and praying, but you'll go ahead and give me your attention. And just please continue to do that in your own time. I think that's imperative. I just want to kind of, I, although I hate to let, end on kind of a, a warning, I, I felt called to say it nonetheless. I just wrote this. I think it's important that we not become the kind of people that take all the blessings that we can get from the gospel without being missionally inclined to spread that gospel, which has freed us and blessed us so richly. Amen? And I know we're that kind of people. I know you have that heart. Um, I don't suspect anything different, but we need that reminder to step up and step in and uh, recommit and and get that urgency back. And so I'm going to pray that over you right now. God, we love you so much. I thank you for your... uh, ever-constant faithfulness, and I just pray that uh, we can be a people that reflect you both in your faithfulness and your urgency and your deep compassion for people, and that you just continue to wow us with your mission, and I just pray that you speak powerfully to each individual in here just uh, what you want them to do next, and for those that you're uh, preparing uh, for uh, our next church plant, I just pray that you continue to do that, that you help them to be susceptible just to your your, uh, Uh, your callings to them and messages and that they take those seriously and uh, say yes to whatever you want to do. We love you. Amen. Thanks, guys.